James Gould, and you're listening to The Recess Course. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about trauma, and we have two leading experts in the area here. We have with us Dr. Rob Green and Dr. Sean Hurley. Trauma has many components of care as it relates to the resuscitation of patients that goes beyond just the care of the patient at the bedside and the clinical things that you're going to do to try to resuscitate them. It includes things like the system of care and how that influences the patient's course through the hospital system. And we're going to cover those things today. So let's go with age before beauty. So we'll start with Rob. Rob's a professor in the Department of Emergency Medicine, Surgery, and Department of Critical Care. He's the medical director for the Provincial Trauma Program here in Nova Scotia. And he's a trauma team leader and trauma consultant. Thanks for being here, Rob. Pleasure to be here, James. Next, we have the beauty, Sean, an assistant professor in the Department of Emergency Medicine here at Dalhousie University. He's a trauma team leader and trauma consultant. Thanks for being here, Sean. Yeah, thanks for inviting me, James. It's an honor to be here. All right, let's get going. Dr. Green, could you speak to the benefits of trauma teams in trauma systems of care? Sure. So I think it's a, a great question. And so I think it's also important to, to remember that a trauma team is just part of a trauma system and they're really difficult to, to separate from each other. Our trauma system starts in Digby, it starts in Cape Breton, it starts in the South Shore, and it builds to, to bring major trauma patients into Halifax to either one of our two level one centers, the IWK for pediatrics and on the adult side, the QE2 and the QE2 number. It's estimated that trauma teams improve mortality by about 15 to 20%. And that would be measured in our system with a before and after study, which pointed to an, an improved mortality of actually 29%. What do you think the, the mortality stems from? Is it the quality of care? Is it the timeliness of care? Is it a bit of both? A lot of it has to do with resources and expertise. You know, certainly the, the reason trauma teams have developed and they originally started in the U.S. with, with ATLS is that trauma teams bring the expertise to the patient and group expertise are better than individual expertise. I think trauma teams, when they're highly functioning, there is good communication. Each node of the team complements the other node. And so procedures are done quickly, investigations are done quickly, patients are assessed quickly, and decisions are made quickly. In this next part of the podcast, Sean, Rob, and I are going to talk about what constitutes a trauma team activation. Classically, criteria are broken down into physiologic criteria, anatomic criteria, and mechanistic criteria. For our protocol, physiologic criteria would include a loss of vital signs, GCS of 12 or less, systolic blood pressure less than 90, or ventilation compromise. Anatomic criteria would include open or depressed skull fractures, severe facial injury with potential for airway compromise, suspected spinal cord injury, chest wall instability or deformity, penetrating injuries to the head, neck, torso, or the extremities when they're proximal to the elbows or knees, amputation proximal to the wrist or ankle, two or more long bone fractures, crushed or degloved or mangled extremities, and burns greater than 20% total body surface area. When it comes to the mechanistic criteria, we look at falls greater than 20 feet, high-risk vehicle collisions such as highway speeds, passengers ejected, 
intrusion into the vehicle, a rollover, or if someone died in the vehicle. We have a lot of ATV accidents out here. So any ATV accident greater than 30 kilometers an hour or a motorcycle greater than 30 kilometers an hour, any pedestrian or cyclist who's struck by a vehicle. Finally, there's always this other considerations criteria within trauma team activations. And that's what Rob, Sean, and I are about to talk about. I want to talk a little bit about trauma team activation criteria. And there's always this, and I think this is probably the same with other systems, is that there's this sort of caveat at the end that at the discretion of provider that you may activate a trauma team or these sort of other considerations. And just looking at our new criteria that have come out, I really like that there's a list of things here that are under the other considerations criteria. Sean, I want, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on some of those sort of other criteria things, because I think they fall into the category of people that could potentially be really sick and trauma that might hide from us. Could you comment a bit on that? Yeah, it's an excellent question. I'm also really, you know, glad to, to see those groups included in kind of the other area to give extra consideration to. There's really three main groups. So the elderly patients, which I'm going to touch on. So those over 65 years of age, there's also the pregnant trauma patients over 20 weeks gestation, and then also multiple trauma patients at the same time. So the big group of patients that are, are sneaky, they're the geriatric trauma patients. We know that the, you know, the typical presentation for geriatric patients, no matter what they're presenting with is actually atypical presentations. So much like a elderly patient presenting with abdominal pain, presenting with chest pain, we need to be a bit more cautious in our approach. And we know that they can hide devastating or life-threatening injuries or diagnoses that don't present like someone that's younger. And trauma is no different. I will say that this is a growing number of patients in our system, and this is not unique to Nova Scotia. Currently, it's about 20% of our all of our trauma team activations are over 65 years of age, and this is a trend that's growing. And there's also some, probably some signal in our data and also other systems that we're under triaging these patients. And there's a number of reasons for these. So these patients are, are they're more frail. So they can have a lower risk or impact mechanism that causes more significant injuries. And that's because they're going to be more prone to some things like rib fractures, pelvic fractures, spinal injuries. They're also going to have more space in their brain for more shearing forces and intracranial bleeding from lower impact mechanisms. We also know that they're on other medications, in particular anticoagulation, which is actually specified on our trauma team activation criteria to give extra consideration for. Super important to consider. They also have altered hemodynamics. So there's going to be a blunted sympathetic response as people age. They're also going to be on cardiac specific medications like beta blockers as an example where they may not mount that same response to significant injuries that we see in younger people making abnormal vital signs. They're also going to have less reserve for even minor injuries. So when you think about even a couple rib fractures, they may be a life-threatening injury for these patients if they have severe COPD, CHF, as examples. So how do we change our activation criteria for these patients? Well, it's really difficult, and this has been studied, and there's no great criteria that's been outlined. When we look at our East Trauma Guidelines and CDC Guidelines, they just say, we should be more liberal in our, in our criteria. Basically, what I kind of suggest is if physiologic and anatomic criteria are not met, we still should give increased consideration for activating at lower risk mechanisms. So what I kind of recommend is if multiple body systems are involved, if the patient's anticoagulated, if there's a solid blood pressure under 110, 
I think we should be more liberal and activating for patients over 65 years of age. And sometimes it's really surprising at the degree of injuries from even a fall from standing. Um, and we know that these patients do do better in level one trauma centers, especially those with a dedicated inpatient trauma service. So the geriatric patient is one that I think is is really important to consider activating trauma team at, at a lower threshold, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. What about the pregnant patient? Any specific considerations for the pregnant patient you mentioned? Well, obviously with, with pregnant patients, we need to be extra concerned if there's abdominal trauma, especially for this group that's over 20 weeks gestation. This is a, a very unique subset of patient, which requires, uh, which isn't, is still very rare, even at our level one center. And so if we can bring them to Halifax and assess by the trauma team, there's some extra kind of, ex, I guess, expertise in managing these patients and potentially involving some of our obstetrical colleagues and their expertise in monitoring these patients can be important. Yeah, yeah absolutely. James, if John, I, let's, yeah, if Rob, I, go ahead. Just say one, just a couple little things in, in our new tiered criteria, we've added kind of other considerations as Sean's outlined. And it really, it really are groups of patients that have so much added complexity that it takes either a lot of extra time to manage these patients or special resources and expertise. And the, the last one that we have are multiple patients arriving from potential mass casualty or, you know, two, two or more major trauma patients at, at one time, which would be a, a really if that's the case, consideration of trauma team activation. Rob, I want to talk a little bit about the appropriate time and the appropriate method by which to get a sick patient from a regional center to Halifax. And we have a, you know, such a receptive trauma team in Halifax, and we're always available to talk to people in regional centers. And we have a really great method of transport by way of, of lifelight, just really high quality care from them. I'm interested from your end, when's the right time to start that process from a regional center? What's the advice to those docs who are caring for those patients? The best time for the patient is as early as possible. So I, I like to frame the trauma service or trauma team a leader or trauma consult position as a resource, because that's exactly what, what we are. We've, we have a, put all of our expertise or as far as trauma resuscitation at the level one centers, because that's part of our system. We're on call 24 hours a day for any advice at any time of day. So, you know, I spent a lot of time traveling across the province, teaching rural trauma, at least before COVID, hopefully to getting that back up as soon as possible. And, and what I tell clinicians and teams and other centers is as soon as you have a patient that, that overwhelms the, your ability and resources in your center, give us a call. And that should be before you get CTs, before you get x-rays. If they meet our criteria, as outlined in tier trumping activation criteria, then get hold of us as soon as possible. And maybe that patient ultimately doesn't end up coming to us. Sometimes there, there is an over triage and, and we ultimately stand out. But that, 
that is not a bad thing whatsoever. We can help with mobilizing resources. We can help guide through procedures. We can talk about getting CTs and investigations at sending site prior to, to transfer. And again, we want to act as a resource. I want to touch a little bit about what happens after the fact. So, you know, in, in our system, they'd come in as a trauma team, we'd care for them, and hopefully they have you know, a good outcome through their resuscitative phase. We now have a trauma consult service that follows patients in hospital. So patients course would basically be they would get admitted to hospital, may or may not require sort of emergent surgery or surgery in the next few days. And we would follow them along as part of the trauma consult service. Could you touch a little bit on what that is? And, you know, how that benefits patients in general in, in trauma systems? Sure. You're touching on my life's work here, James. So how do you talk about trauma consults? It's been recognized for a long time that optimal care trauma patient requires great inpatient care. And in in fact, Accreditation Canada relates that trauma patients should be admitted to a trauma service to direct their care. And this, this has been recognized as a weakness of, of our system for, for a long time. We've come a long way in the 20, 25 years, but the one thing we haven't come a long way on is, is the coordination of inpatient care. So right now, you know, or up until two months ago, trauma patients who after resuscitation require admit, admission go to one of four places, directly into the ICU, directly to neurosurgery general surgery or orthopedics. They may have an OR to stop with, stop in before they go to one of those places, but that's what happened. We, when we looked at kind of our outcomes, there was certainly some indication that we can do better after the patient's being admitted to the hospital. So what we did is, is develop a, a business case, which was successful to bring on a brand new service in the hospital. And that's what we've termed the, the trauma consult service. So for 70 hour, hours a week, there is a someone who's just dedicated to trauma, rounding on every patient admitted after major trauma in the hospital. We're, we're within the first two months of starting this. There's a core group of physicians and dedicated nurses who from 7 a.m., to 5 p.m., their sole job is to manage not just the trauma team activations, but in the care of inpatient trauma. Soon, we, we're going to be standing up a follow-up, a virtual follow-up clinic as well, which is going to focus on the patients who are discharged actually from the eMERGE, because at, at present, it's those patients don't get any follow-up, but starting in, in 2023, we'll be virtually following, following them up. So we're quite excited about that. Oh yeah. That's just so important. Those little pieces of the trauma systems of care are just so important to the overall success and outcomes for our trauma population. Listen, I want to thank you both for taking the time to be here with us today. And hopefully we'll get you back here soon to talk some more trauma. Awesome. Thanks, James. Thanks, Good Rob. Man. Thanks, James.